please turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If this is your first time with us, thank you for being with us today. If you're joining online, thank you for joining us online as well. Now, I'm coming to that place in time and season in life that they call this, this climactic moment, and then you go over it, and it's down the hill after that. You tracking with me? There's this thing that our culture likes to say that you find yourself in what we would call a midlife crisis. I think in our culture we're having quarter-life crisis and three-quarter-life crisis and a midlife crisis and we're just having crises everywhere. But it's that temptation in life where, as uh, Jonathan Roch says, he, he described it this way. He says that you enter into your 40s and you begin to ask yourself, is this all that there is? And then over a period of a decade, you enter into that season and you get to your 50s and you look back on the, that decade and go, that is all that there was and it was pretty good. But some people will use this crisis to excuse themselves to purchase a vehicle that can only fit two people and maybe this top is down, right? I mean, people will use that season to pursue other ventures or other jobs or they'll pick up some new hobby and they'll give themselves to that or, or, or maybe they'll begin to become dissatisfied with their spouse thinking that that other person might provide for them that which they have longed for. We, we call that this idea of thinking that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. But can I just tell you, the grass is always greener where you water. So water where you're planted and it'll grow. We call this the midlife crisis and it becomes this moment where we go, what am I doing with my life? Where am I headed? And all of us have faced moments in time like this. What if I told you churches face this as well? Now, Rock Hill's been around for over 160 years, longer than I've been alive. And I'm not saying that Rock Hill is facing a crisis, but I, I am saying that even our church, and I think every church in America, is facing a moment in time where they have to think about what really matters. We've been in a series called All In, and we started last week with our mission. We have to remember the mission we have. Today, we're going to be talking about our purpose, because when you begin to face this climbing of this so-called hill, and you go over that hill, that you have to remind yourself, reestablish for yourself that which matters most. What is my purpose? And I think in our text today that Paul will show us in his, the last portion of his speech to this church in Ephesus, I think he's going to help us frame how we can move forward and be all in as a church. So if you have your Bibles, you're at Acts chapter 20, we're actually starting on the conclusion of his comments to the church in Ephesus. But if you're there, will you say word? Starting in verse 32, he says this, and now I commit you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. 
I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 36. After he said this. He knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced him and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that he, that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, in 2024, maybe 2025, we'll walk verse by verse through the book of Acts but I've just taken the last portion of his conversation or speech to the Ephesian elders, or we might say the pastors of the Ephesian church. So we have to remember that when we read a text in the Bible, we want to know who he or who they're speaking to, the context, but then we want to know how it fits into the greater book, like in this instance, the book of Acts. Then we want to find out how does it fit within the New Testament, and then we want to understand how does it fit in the Old and New Testament, understanding on how it applies to you and to me. So while there will be some things in this text today that are pointed at the Ephesian elders, there is application for your elders, but also for you because I think every text in the Bible is applicable some to varying different degrees but there is application for you and for me today now Paul is coming to this church the church in Ephesus and he's giving kind of his last in his farewell speech to them he's sharing with them some last words about what is happening and what's going to happen to them and thankfully in the Bible we can fast forward some 30 years from this moment and know what happened to the church in Ephesus. You see, we can read in the book of Revelation about the church in Ephesus, the same church that Paul is referring, these elders, and we can understand that the church in Ephesus was doing everything externally correct. Every box you would check for a healthy church, every box you would check for a healthy pastors, every church, every mark that you would check in a healthy congregation, they were checking them all, except they had lost their love for Jesus. They had fallen in love with the mission of God, but had failed to fall in love with the Messiah who had sent them. This church externally was doing everything, but they had lost their first love. This is the story of the church in Ephesus. And Paul comes to them at the very end of his time with them, and he says, I'm going to commend some things to you. And it's very similar to what he's going to say to Timothy when he writes that letter to him as well. In fact, I think the summary verse for this whole speech is actually a verse we did not even read, but we'll put it on the screen for you to see. It's verse 28. Look at what, look at what Paul says to them in verse 28. He says, be on guard. For who? He's talking now, remember, to the pastors, to the elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. What is Paul indicating to the Ephesian elders? He's saying to the preachers, be on guard. How many of us have heard stories in recent days of men who were incredible communicators in the pulpit, but when they stepped out of the pulpit and into real life, their lives were corrupt? 
Pray for your pastors to be on guard for their own souls. And not just for themselves, but for you. Spurgeon, I'm paraphrasing here, said this in his book, Lectures to My Students. He says, many a man hath stood in the pulpit and we wish they never had stepped out because their lives did not match what they preached. So he's speaking this to the Ephesian elders, but I think there's some application for you and for me because I think you ought to be on guard for yourself as well. And how do we, when we come to this crossroads in life, how do we, when we come upon this hill of which we've, for whatever reason, climbed, and now we're going to go down like a little roller coaster, how do we be on guard in this season of transition, in the season of life where we want to begin to question so much? Because there's some people in this world who would rather be well-liked by men than well-pleasing to God. So when people come to this place in life, They've got to remember why they exist, what their purpose is. And notice what Paul will say to this church. Number one, he says, there is the word. He says, I'm going to commit you to God and the word of his grace. So when we're coming to this crossroads, he commends them to God. Why? Because the word of God is able to go to places in your heart that I cannot go. Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, when you hold high this word, I'm committing you to God and the word of his grace, when you hold this high, it's going to go to places that I cannot go. Because we know at the end of his little speech, he is going to leave from them. He's getting on a ship and he will never see them again. Preachers come and preachers go, but the word of God stands forever. So if there's ever a doubt about what does Rock Hill care about, what it's always cared about, which is the reason why we exist today, and the reason why I think God has blessed us is because we hold high God's authoritative word. I'm not interested in the authority of man. I'm not interested in being the authority. I'm interested in God's word being our authority. And so we see here, he says, I commend to you, to God. Again, this church was checking everything, but their hearts had no affection for Jesus. You say, well, how can I pray for our pastors? Pray that our affections are stirred for God and his word. It is possible to be a theological, stout individual, degrees lining up the wall, certificates and accolades from everybody that you could ever see, book deals coming down, number one New York Times bestseller, whatever that means, and yet lose the very thing that matters most. It is an affection for Jesus. Paul will say to the church in Philippi, you can have it all. I count it all as a loss. Why? For the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. See, we're helping, we're asking you to help people who are far from God to become followers of Jesus. But it's hard to help people who are far from God to become followers of Jesus when you yourself are far from God and not following Jesus. But if God has given us this mission to make disciples, how can you do this if you're not on guard? We're dealing with the crossroads. You have to remember the word of his grace. That's a reference to the gospel. When you're 
struggling in life, it's so important for us to remember to be and have the gospel at the center of everything. He, he's saying this good news of his grace, the word of his grace, the communication of his grace. Gospel involves this speaking of what took place that the Father sent Jesus as the first missionary to the earth. Jesus lived the perfect life that you could not and do not live. Jesus died the death that you were supposed to die based upon your own sin that separated you from the Father. Jesus then goes to the cross, dies in your place physically, dies for you spiritually. He goes into the tomb physically. He is in the tomb even spiritually. But Jesus rises from the dead three days later. Not just spiritually, but also physically, appearing to witnesses. And that resurrection then gives us great hope. And not only that gives us great hope, but Jesus then ascended into heaven. And one day, for all those who believe, he comes to rescue them once again. This is the gospel. So when you're having difficult days, and boy, do they pile up. When you're coming to a crossroads, a, a hill that you're about to come down off of, remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that it's his grace that saved you. It wasn't because you had the intellect ability. It's because he reveals himself to you and you respond in belief to him. He also shows them his work. Look what he says in verse 33, he says, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. What Paul says here is, I, I worked hard. Oh, the temptation for pastors to become lazy. You say, well, what about me? Oh, you get lazy too. <laughs> oh, Paul says, remember... I wasn't lazy among you. I worked hard. I had a second job. I had a job that I worked for. I, I didn't covet silver or gold or clothing. It reminds me of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the guy who, who ate just from locusts and, and honey, and, and then he had one outfit. Boy, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing, men, to walk into your closet and say, I don't know what to wear today. But, oh, there it is. I got one outfit. To give you a personal example of desiring clothing, I bought a hat online. It's a big mistake. I don't recommend buying hats from an online dealer because you don't know what it's going to look like. I waited for this package about a week. It took a while. This said preparing, preparing, preparing. They kept saying, oh, the pandemic. I'm like, no, 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 send this to me now, right? I paid for shipping. I get the hat. We left 20 minutes before it was delivered. It always happens that way. We're going to be gone overnight. I get home and open the package. I'm so thrilled to open up my new hat. I was so excited about this hat. It's going to change the world. I open it up and I, I see, well, it's a little bit different than what I thought. It's a cayenne pepper color, which is fine. And I put it on and I said, hey, Abby, what do you think of my hat? No. I turned around to the mirror and I went, ah! 
it looked like I had a mushroom on top of my head. It was like a helmet, a big balloon helmet. Don't buy hats online. I share that with you just to say it's so easy to get enthralled with an item or a clothing. But Paul says, I wasn't enthralled with those things. Pastors can get enamored wanting you to give to fill their own pockets. Pray for your pastors to not become enthralled with an offering to pocket in their pockets. Pray for your own souls as well. This world is enticing. But I've yet to ever buy anything that filled my heart more than Jesus can fill my heart. He says, and he continues in verse 35, he makes a comment. Look at the very end of verse 35. He says, don't you remember what Jesus said? It's better to, or you're more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know that there's nowhere in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that we see Jesus saying this? But that doesn't mean Jesus didn't say it. You know John 21, 25. John says if we recorded everything Jesus said and if we recorded everything Jesus did, we would find there is not enough books in the world to fill them so I believe Jesus did say this. And you understand the principle is very much like a beatitude that we've just finished coming out of. It's very much like a beatitude that you, you are more blessed to give than to receive. And you understand this because as a parent or a grandparent, you, the thrill of your heart when you've given somebody a gift that fills them up with great joy. Now remember... Paul is talking to who? The Ephesian elders, the pastors, the overseers of the church in Ephesus. And I would love to give you four or eight or 12 or 22 reasons why pastors should give. And I think there's application for you on why you should give. Say, oh, there he goes. He's asking for money. Oh, I'll ask. Don't worry. But I'm just going to give you two. Now remember, Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders. So I'm talking right now to Ed and to David. He's back there. He's hiding, but he's back there. This is to them and to me. So you listen in while I'm going to preach just for a second. This is my little tangent, right? I'm a, I'm a lot of tangent every once in a while. I'm going to speak to you, Ed. Two reasons why you need to give. David, two reasons why you need to give. Any of our pastors in here, two reasons why, you, all of our staff, you, here's why you need to give. Number one, giving shows us God's heart. When pastors are generous, we show our people the heart of God. James 1.17 says that God is the giver of good gifts and the perfect gift. And because we're image bearers and because we're shepherds of the flock of God, we're called to give as well. So we be generous as pastors because it shows the heart of God, that God's heart is generous. The bigger our hearts, the wider our hands, the bigger picture of God they get. So as pastors, we give generously. I want you to know that. 
If you're a pastor in this room and watching online, we are to give generously because it shows God's heart. But secondly, we give generously because we then are showing that we trust God's provision. We give because it shows God's provision. Why do we not give as pastors? We sometimes don't give because we are fearful of being without. How are we going to make the bills? How are we going to make it this next month? What's going to happen? This pandemic has taught us this, that when, when everything got hit to a halt, we, what is mine? How can I keep it? How can I maintain it? How can I hold it? What's going to happen to my future earnings? What, what's gonna, what, what is, how's this going to work? And when we become stingy, it has an effect on our people. So, so we give. We give because it shows that we trust God's provision for us. When pastors give sacrificially, they actually model to their people trust in God's provision, trust in God's sovereignty. So we don't give stingily, we give generously as a staff. Giving trusts God's provision. Now, does that have application for you? Yes, but remember, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, hey, church, you got to remember, leaders, you got to remember, you need to understand that it is better, you are blessed to give than to receive. So give and give more. i got to move forward. So we have his word, we have the work, and now we have the witness. Look what happens in verse 36. Paul comes to a point, he said what he's going to say, he kneels down, and they begin to pray and weep, and they kiss, which is a sign of affection. Paul is no stranger to prayer. Paul has given them instruction, but he's also going to show them praying. It's why, it's why the first Tuesday of the month, that's coming this Tuesday, that's in two days, our prayer gathering as a church body in this room will pray together. There's something about the church coming together and praying because you cannot speak boldly for God unless you've spoken often with God. You can't speak boldly for God unless you've spoken often with God. Is this not what Paul will say to the church in Ephesus? Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Is that what he says to the church in Colossae? Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. So you pray when you wake up. You pray when you're cooking bread, uh, bread, eggs, breakfast. You pray when you mow the lawn. You pray when you go to work. You pray when you're driving your kids to school. You pray when you're on a date with your wife or your husband. You pray when you're doing your activities. You, you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. Because when you see in verse 37, there was an embrace that they had, a, a connection they had. Why? Because they had taken all of these burdens and taken them to the heavenly Father. This was an artificial grief. The witness that we see here is that they had laid out some things. They've taken it to the Lord, and then Paul departs. Over the last year, our staff took time during this season of where a lot of things were paused to think about what is our purpose as a church? What are our core values? What really is going to ground us? Because when you're at a crossroads, when you're at a transition, and our church is at a transition, 
When you're at these things, what, what's going to ground you? What's going to be at the basis for you? And so for us, we've articulated five core values that have already existed at Rock Hill and we believe will help us move forward into the future. The first one is simply this. For Rock Hill, Jesus is at the center. I need you to hear from me. This church and its foundation is not on a preacher or on a staff. It's on Jesus Christ. It's not going to be on a preacher. Preachers come and go. I'm not going anywhere. But Jesus is going to be at the center for Rock Hill. Whatever the world tries to dish, whatever the waves and the tides of this world come to push against, Jesus is going to be at the center for Rock Hill. Why? Because he's at the center of the Bible, he's at the center of the church, and he ought to be at the center of your life. Why do we have so many issues among some of our, our people today? I think it's because Jesus has not been at the center. We've made a political party the center. We've made a cultural value the center. We've made even money the center. I'm not bashing on money. I'm just saying sometimes we can elevate things. And we sing, I don't want to have any other idols. I want Jesus to be at the center of my life. Luke 24, Jesus is resurrected and he comes to some disciples and they're on the, the road to Emmaus. They're discussing things about What's happened and he's talking with them and all of a sudden they begin to realize that this is the resurrected Jesus and he begins to recount for them all the way back to the books of Moses how he was at the center of it all. We learn in Colossians 1 that God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in Jesus. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. You can have all the things of the world, but if you have not been rescued by Jesus, you have gained nothing. We want to be one church, but every generation. We don't want to be one generation church. Oh, we're just trying to get younger. I want every generation. <laughs> I want older. I want mid-older. I want midlife. I want almost midlife. I want young adults, I want teenagers, I want preteeners, some preteeners, I want <laughs> kiddos, I want infants, I want about to be born. Why? Because we're to be one church with every generation. Look, Paul says, or Jesus says this, he says, I'm going to build my church, right, Matthew 16, 18, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. To the church in Ephesus, Paul says this. He says, now, to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Think about it. Beyond what you can even think. According to what? The power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. To who? To all generations forever and ever. Amen. Shame on Rock Hill if we become about one generation. We are one church but every generation. Why? Because every generation needs to know that Jesus is at the center. Every generation needs to know that God's word is going to be the foundation. Every generation needs the chance to hear the gospel of redemption through Jesus Christ. We also want and believe that Rock Hill is a place to belong. A place to belong. Every person in this world is made in the image of God. And so therefore we care and we 
We care for and we welcome all people. Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that we are going to affirm you in your sin. The desire, I think, of God and his word is that every person come under the conviction of their sin. So we're not going to coddle you in your sin. We're not going to coddle our staff in their sin. We want to welcome people but not affirm them in their sin. Paul will say in Romans 12, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. A place to belong means that you have a place that you can share your deep hurt and deep pain and not be shunned for it, but be told you in the name of Christ are forgiven by God because of his grace that he's extended to you. That you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by who Jesus has called you. He's called you a son. He's called you a daughter. A place to belong. We're going to be courageously generous. You hear this every week. You go, we do? Yes. Courageous generosity. We give big expecting God to do big things. We will be talking about some of the roadblocks to our generosity in the days ahead, particularly in two weeks. That's preventing us from being as generous as we could be. But if you hear what Jesus says in Luke 11, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Those who sow sparingly, they reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. I'm just telling you, you can't outgive God. Lastly, we have a faith that works. I'm not saying that you're saved by your works. I'm saying that when you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord, you can't help but get busy for God. We meet the spiritual and tangible needs in our region and across the globe. This is why we have things like the Rock Hill Outreach Center. It's so important to caring for those in our community. C2R, Iron House. We work with Cinecor. We have counseling centers. Globally, we have things like Zoe's Place. We're not just giving lip service to this. We're giving action to it. It's why last week our deacons Long to serve our widows. Why? Because they have a faith that works. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. James will tell us that what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? We are going to be a church that is at work not silenced by the world. So when you come to a crossroads, and some of you say, I've never had the midlife crisis, but my eyesight got worse. Some of you are not even there yet. You're not even thinking about it. Some of you have passed there. What do you do in those moments? You come back to the foundation. How is my relationship with God? It can only be repaired through Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. How is my relationship with those around me? 
When I have a vision of my marriage, what is, is it really coming to that? I have a vision for my kids, is that really happening? I begin to rethink work and what we're doing and how we're doing it. I come back to the foundation because if I'm not careful, I'll deconstruct everything, including my orthodoxy, and you cannot deconstruct orthodoxy. You've got to read through the culture and understand what our foundation is. Some of us have been so wobbly in recent days. We don't know where to stand anymore. Maybe today is a day that you reestablish yourself on the foundation of God's word among God's people. It cannot happen unless you're all in. Not partially in, not just putting your toe in, not just thinking about going in, but jumping in. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now. And Lord, we know that in this room there are some that have been struggling and walking and what to do in this world. They're they're discouraged and disheartened, but God, we know that today you are faithful and you are good. Lord, would you help those who are struggling with this even today, and God, would you make a move in their hearts so they could respond to you. Help them to see the truth of the glory of your gospel. And Lord, as we respond as a church to these five really important things, help us to respond with your care, with the care that you give us. God, help us to respond to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this chance in Jesus' name.